You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me, as always, is my good friend Frank Madden. And Frank, what is it that they say about results and process? Uh, no, I, I, I should not encourage that because that's a silly thing to say. But the Milwaukee Bucks did beat the Philadelphia 76ers 118-110 on Sunday night. They have a 31-5 run in the third quarter to close it out. I think this, or at least I think that's what it was. The Sixers started that quarter 9-2, to two, and then the Bucks go 31-5. to five. They force uh, the Sixers into their season-high 26 turnovers, 7 from Embiid, 6 from Simmons, and 5 uh, from Redick. And, I mean, they just kind of turned it around. Uh, two times in the game they come back from a 15 or more deficit, and... Yeah, uh, you you look at that game in the third quarter. I tweeted out uh, when the Bucks went down 19 when they start when the Sixers started on that 9-2 run. I was like, well, I don't think you can actually come back from from 20 down two times. And well, I had a bunch of people tweet that one at uh, at Cold Takes Exposed um, and all the uh, eye emojis quote tweeted that tweet uh, as the Bucks end up winning that one. Uh, Kind of a, a strange, cool atmosphere as uh, the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast folks were uh, bussing the process into uh, the Midwest. So uh, just kind of strange. Like there was Sixers fans very audible. There was Bucks fans audible. And it made for, uh, a, I don't know, an experience. I, I don't know how else to kind of say that. Yeah, and we were talking before the podcast. I, I You know, my um, – Friend Mike Levin, formerly of Liberty Ballers, now of the Rights of Richie, Ricky Sanchez podcast. Um, I mean, I, I knew from obviously following Mike that they had planned this, but I, I honestly, in my head, for some reason, I thought it was later this month. I thought there was one more, and now thinking back to it, you know, there, there was already the one game in Milwaukee against the Sixers earlier this season, so it made sense that this was going to be the night for this. Um, but I. It was weird. I in my head, I thought it was happening later this month, and when early in the or in the or in the game, like you know, you heard some trust the process chants, and the ESPN crew showed you know a bunch of Sixer fans sitting together. I thought, oh my god, it, like we're already like a bunch of Sixer fans at this game. Like man, when they actually <laughs> organize for a game, it's going to be like crazy. Um, but yeah, it, it, let's just say that added um, made this even sweeter. Um, but a lot of reasons for this game to be a very sweet and cathartic game uh for the bucks given coming off four four straight losses um i think also four straight home losses uh this was you know one of those games where you needed a a team effort obviously but you needed in particular i think Giannis to come back and look like you know the sort of dominant Giannis that we'd seen 
for so much of the season. You wanted to see your superstar step up in a nationally televised game against, you know, a team that is another up and coming team that has Embiid and Simmons. And obviously they're a team that's going to be a, a factor for a long time in the East. And, um, you know, I think it was a, an incredible thing to see Giannis, you know, sort of drag the bucks, um, sort of, you know, back into the game a little bit early on. He was playing well early when they, you know, when, when no one else seemed to be doing anything. Um, he gave them a bit of a shot in the arm, helping them come back from that huge deficit. And obviously uh, what we saw from him in the third quarter, getting out on the fast break, uh, you know, getting Bledsoe going turbo Bledsoe and then finding him for two huge dunks. And then <laughs> when he just looked up and saw Urson and basically just put Urson on skates for about 60 feet or whatever it was. And <laughs> yeah. um, just, I mean, it, it, you know, that that was... You know, for all the talk and, and concern that understandably folks have had about Giannis's knee and, you know, how much of that has had to do with his recent slump, um, you know, again, we, it's hard to tell exactly what's sort of changed and, and how much sort of physically he may have been limited of late. Um, but I think we'll talk about that a bit more. But um, tonight, you know, the Sixers just defensively, a lot of the swarming, especially in half court that we've seen from other teams that has worked tonight. We saw it a fair bit and Giannis had to be very alert and, and open and or sorry, um, you know, able to pass out of a lot of those situations. But he also had a bunch of situations where he was able to use all those talents that we're so used to seeing and, and seeing him flying in that third quarter, um, helping the Bucks erase that 19 point lead with, you know, the Bucks forcing turnovers. And, you know, again, we sort of saw the best and worst of Philly tonight. Right. Um, uh, with them being able to kind of use that inside outside combination to to build a big lead, but then also to just throw it away uh, with, you know, just tons and tons of turnovers, which has been a problem for them all year. So, um, you know, early in the game, I sort of in my head just started thinking, all right, you know what? Maybe I just have to root for this to be a good Giannis game. And it felt like the Bucks were going to lose. <laughs> Hopefully Giannis at least looks like old Giannis and we can at least feel better about that. Um, but it ended up being, you know, not just a great Giannis night, but um, obviously a, a huge win for a Bucks team that had been been reeling. And, uh, you know, again, other than the Detroit game, I mean, it's not like they have been getting blown out. Right. We've seen them go down by a ton of points in a couple of these games like the Washington game. They spend all this energy trying to come back and they just can't get over the hump. We saw it against the Pacers as well on Friday. Um, and tonight I just worried that that was going to happen again. As you said, you know, you, you kind of fight back to, to tie the game late in the second quarter and then it kind of all unravels. You go down by a dozen half and then Sixers expand the lead in the third quarter. Uh, you worry that, you know, again, like, man, is this just, you know, they just don't have enough in the tank to get over the hump. But, um, Thankfully, uh, Giannis Bledsoe made big plays. Um, Tyler Zeller made big plays. Also gave us Huge. an Andrew Bogut flashback, which we didn't want. Um, but uh, you know, certainly a, a lot of big plays all around. Jason Terry, both with his energy and uh, uh, he was sort of the the answer, I guess, to the traveling Sixer fans in a lot of way, getting the Bucks crowd engaged, hitting three threes. Um, it was just a fun night, and and also Javari Parker hitting three threes getting visibly engaged yelling at looked like some Sixer fans who were uh in the lowers uh at one point in the third quarter when he hit a three so um this was a fun game and and obviously you know you look at it as against a team that is not just right there in the standings with you um but a team that's going to be there probably for for quite some time in the east and um obviously it's it's fun to to punch back because certainly uh they gave the bucks a couple of a good punches tonight i re- I think I said it on our our last podcast, um, but or maybe sometime last week, I'd mentioned the fact that I, I was hoping for a good one in this game where the Bucks were able to punch back 
and y- y- I I just desperately want this to be the Bucks' rival going forward, and maybe ultimately the Bucks will end up on the short end of that stick. Uh, obviously, you can kind of see what Embiid can do. You can see what Simmons can do. Um, you see some talent on that roster, uh, but at the same time, like this just feels kind of like the perfect rivalry moving forward. Both these teams are kind of in similar areas right now. Uh, both have hopes of going even further and getting even better and growing into contenders in the Eastern Conference. And I just, before the game, Brett Brown mentioned, like, how lucky are all of us that we get to watch Giannis. We get to watch Embiid. We get to watch Simmons. Like, we get to have those young guys be so special and be so talented, and we're all going to get to watch them together and watch them grow and watch them become even better players and and move to even further stages of elite basketball play. And I, I thought he was 100% right. Like uh, That was a moment where it, it's not – you don't normally hear an NBA coach – talk about how how lucky all of us are to get to watch basketball um but that was one of those moments where i stand there like yeah this is this is pretty special stuff to get to see that and um that third quarter i think kind of encapsulates it for Giannis. like you got to see the guy that you haven't seen for i mean a while now and i wrote about it today at espn milwaukee looking at Giannis's slump and kind of how things are changing and again we can talk about that a little bit later but that third quarter you got to see all of those things that maybe you haven't seen for a little while and after the game he talked about how um, i'd asked because from from the the outset tonight they were sending a double team at him and most of the time it was Embiid. like they were going to send Embiid at him and they were going to force the ball out of his hands and force other Bucks players into making plays. And he mentioned that early on, he, he kind of got a little bit down on himself because he was letting the double team take him out of his game. And, and again, when you see a double team come, you want to start those chain reaction plays, those those plays where you're going to get an extra pass and an extra pass and an extra pass and you're going to get the crisp ball movement. So you want to start those, but at the same time, you can't allow it to sap all of your aggressiveness and keep you from attacking. And he said, I, I was trying to fight back against that um, and, and try to make sure that I do stay aggressive. And I think you saw that in the third quarter. Instead of Instead of making quick passes away, it was more accepting the double teams and then making a strong play, making a strong pass, making something happen off of that. Um, and sometimes that might be attacking it um, and going to the basket. Other times that might be bringing in the double team and then kicking it out and getting it moving. Um, so you got to see some of that in the third quarter, just the the idea that he could control all of the chess pieces and move them around on the board how he wanted and, and make those plays. And um, one I was thinking of was where they th- – Tyler Zeller throws a terrible lob to him. Just an awful idea. It goes way out of where it should have been. Giannis catches it and then sees Embiid coming and up fakes him and gets Embiid in there and then just tosses the wrap around to Zeller and Zeller scores there. And it was just one of those moments where earlier in the game he had attacked that. And he or he had passed out of the double team or if he attacked, sometimes Embiid had got him at the rim. And there it was, okay, I'm in total control. I know when I up fake here, Embiid's going to go and I can toss it off to Tyler Zeller and Zeller gets an easy layup there. And it just during that third quarter, it felt like 
those superstar moments that we've seen from Giannis throughout kind of this entire season where he does just kind of take over the game. And then on top of that, the t- the Sixers are turning it over all over the place, and then he's out and running and dunking on everyone. Uh, and then, like you said, that there's just that – I mean, that moment will probably sit in time for a while now where he gets – he gets Ursan ISO'd, and there had been times where they, they'd been pulling it up on the fast break instead of attacking, and instead there he goes, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna take it right at Ursan, does so, finishes through the layup, uh, and then goes over to chat to uh, Jared Bayless on the Bucks bench. And honestly, I'm shocked he didn't get t- teed up for it um, because <laughs> if there's any taunting rules, um, if there's any showing up your opponent rules um, – I think that broke all of them because uh, it was pointing at Jared Bayless, talking to him, and then going up for a high five that ultimately Jared Bayless did not reciprocate. Um, but still, you you kind of got to see that, and there was just it, it just felt like that whole third quarter. You're building, you're building, you're building, and then you get that moment where he gets the end one, he goes over and talks some junk. Uh, it just kind of all came together, and you got to see you got to see that those those special Giannis moments. Yeah, and I think it probably. I mean, if it had been, if if it had been uh, Ilias Silva that he had done that to, you know, the guy he scored on, then it probably would have been like a thing where they the officials would have been like, oh yeah, you can't do that. That's taunting because yeah. you're doing it to the guy you just basically you know physically dominated. Um, but it probably just like was it was so like random and because Giannis was <laughs> had a smile on his face and Bayless laughed too. Um, you know, it probably was like, oh, what, what was that? You know, like it was just sort of a random thing. I mean, I, yeah. Like if there were don't... hotter tempers on that bench, that could have gone very poorly. Like <laughs> actively like stomping towards the way bench, pointing at them and talking junk. Like that could go poorly against some teams, but obviously it did not go that way. Yeah. And I think one of the, I think when we think about this game, I think, you know, it's interesting to look at. And again, like, you know, plus minus individual game plus minus obviously is something that you have to be very careful trying to, you know, especially assess like individual player performance on, right? Like a a great guy can have an awesome game and, you know, have a negative number and, you know, some crappy guy who just happened to be around when the team made a little run against the second unit can have a plus. But um, I thought it was interesting. I mean, if you look at the plus minuses for, for the two teams, um, the Bucks bench is where you'll find the biggest plus numbers. Jabari plus 12, Tyler Zeller plus 22 in 20 minutes, Jason Terry plus 29 in 26 minutes <laughs> versus the Sixers bench, you know, Ursan minus 15, TJ McConnell minus 16. Um, you know, they, they play a pretty short bench. I mean, they only played what, uh, I guess actually, well, actually both teams have played very short benches. Basically the Bucks played eight guys, um, and the Sixers played nine guys. Um, cause, uh, uh, TLC came in right at the end and, and hit a three, but he didn't really play. And, and Bellinelli was a, an even in 24 minutes. But um, I, I thought, especially in that third quarter, um, you know, the, the, the Sixers are such a weird team. I think the way Simmons, the way teams just sag off Simmons, and because he always has the ball, right? Like teams sag off Giannis to a large extent, but not quite to the extent that they sag off of Simmons. And on top of that, Simmons always has the ball, you, you know? So yeah. it, it's even more pronounced because the guy who's running the offense is always has his defender just backing way off and going under screens and, you know, just begging him to take shots, even, you know, from the foul line. So it's such a weird dynamic. And, you know, Redick hit four out of six threes, Covington three out of seven, Sarge four out of five. I mean, those guys were so important in really 
trying to stretch the floor as much as possible uh, whenever, you know, Simmons was out there. And I think that was, you know, to a large extent, like when things seemed to work well, it was because he had those guys, you know, spreading the floor around him. But it's interesting because, I mean, you know, when TJ McConnell comes in the game, things just change so quickly. And, and because McConnell is a guy that is basically defended to a large extent like Simmons is in terms of going under screens and not mm. respecting his shot. Um, you know, McConnell has done a great job of like scratching out a role for himself in the NBA. And it's not to diminish, you know, him or say he's not an NBA player or something. But tonight I thought it was, you know, a major negative because pretty much whoever was was running the offense for the Sixers, the Bucks were sagging off and they were, com- you know, basically compressing the court other than really like having to guard those, you know, those handful of the three guys who were hitting threes. And that I think was a big reason why you saw, you know, how many steals the Bucks have 15 steals. Um, you know, so many of those I think are because again, this floor is smaller when you have, you know, your ball handlers not able to, um, to really demand attention at the point of attack. And so I, I thought that was interesting. And then the Sixers, again, I mean, it's the Sixers turn the ball over a ton. This is their big weakness as an offense is that they just turn the ball over way too much. Um, you know, you mentioned the numbers. I mean, Simmons and Embiid had more turnovers than field goals tonight. They had 13 turnovers between them. They each hit six shots. I mean, you know, nominally six out of 12, 19 points for Embiid. I mean, that's you know, pretty good efficiency, seven out of 10 from the foul line, but you know, you put seven turnovers on top of it and it's not good offense, right? I mean, like that's, that's, that's bad offense. You will take that line from Embiid any night and similar Simmons. I mean, he did a great job, you know, getting the ball to Redick and Saric and, and, you know, creating offense. He had 15 assists, but you know, six turnovers, didn't take a free throw six out of nine from the field, you know, yeah. 67 percent shooting that's great but you know 12 points i mean again he just didn't really punish you much for the way the bucks played him and um obviously just creates a really weird dynamic for them um defensively and i don't know that not to diverge too much but i think it's so interesting that like everybody talks about lebron and oh like he should go to philly and i mean look if lebron goes to philly like i they're probably the the eastern conference favorites i guess but yep in, in terms of like dupl- duplication of talents, I mean, LeBron and Simmons is a really weird combination because Simmons has to have the ball. He's such a good passer. He doesn't space the floor for shit. You know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I mean, he needs the ball. So it, it would be really weird. I mean, you obviously you could, I guess you could say, well, you, you just always have one of them on the court, you know, and you do sort of some version of the, you know, Chris Paul, James Harden, bizarro you know, big version of that. But, um, but I don't know. It was an interesting game, um, to watch just because again, the Sixers do have such a funhouse mirror effect because of their players being kind of such extreme players. I mean, a beat and beat command so much attention. And again, like I thought, you know, we saw the bucks doubling hard in that third quarter, you know, Giannis just went over and I thought executed one of the better doubles you'll see from the bucks. You know, we obviously often bemoan double teams, but <laughs> You know, when you use Giannis's links and you get right up on him on the sideline and he literally can't, like, find any place to put the ball. Um, again, you know, he's a, he's a pretty good passer, but if you crowd him, he will turn it over. And obviously it's a gamble um, with the way that the Sixers can move the ball and the three-point shooting that they can put on the court at times. But uh, certainly tonight it was, you know, an example of the Bucks. <laughs> the defense created a lot of turnovers. Um, you know, you look at the, um, 
you look at the fast break points, 28 fast break points for the Bucks. I mean, you know, again, talk about tonic for for Giannis and getting him easy points. You know, um, that was such a huge part of of getting Giannis going in spite of the double teaming that you mentioned. And you know, you look at the uh, turnovers, the points off turnovers, 36 to 11 for the Bucks. I mean, that was massive. You know, not just in helping the Bucks carve out a 120 offensive rating, but you know, just getting them back into this game. I mean, it's tough to, to erase, you know, two 19 point deficits in a game um, unless the other team is either going to miss tons of shots or turn the ball over or both. And and certainly, you know, Philly made 50% of their threes. I mean, <laughs> Philly, Philly had 56% shooting from the field, 50% shooting from uh, the three point line. And they still managed to, you know, get outscored by eight points per 100. Um, so that, that tells you a lot. And the Bucks certainly offensively were not perfect, but, um, you know they were good, and they came at uh, came at you in waves, and um, give a lot of credit to Giannis. But I'd say also, um, you know, Jabari, Bledsoe, and and also Zeller and and Terry. You know, all those guys. I think each played important roles at various points. Yeah, I think after the game, they had mentioned both Chris and Giannis mentioned that Bledsoe, that Jason Terry was the one that said, "Hey, if we're going to beat this team, we have to push the pace." Like MB doesn't want to run at that pace. They don't overall want to run at that pace like if we can cause turnovers and push the pace they aren't going to want to keep up they're not going to want to be a part of this and largely in that third quarter that was what happened and you mentioned turbo Bledsoe a couple times and yeah he he was out in in full force tonight uh that also included one or two <laughs> I, I don't understand turnovers in transition but um with some of that it was like you said, just Bledsoe and Giannis and Jabari in those three running and pushing together. And I know people always talk to me about, um, always mention, oh, yeah, this is a team that pushes in transition and the Bucks are always trying to get out and run. And most of the time I call BS. Like, they don't try to do that. If they tried to do that, they would look like they did more often in that third quarter. But in calling for them to do it more, that's what you're hoping to see, that when they get out, Bledsoe can push it so fast. And then I thought, really, he did a nice job finding guys behind him. And I think a lot of the time he struggles with that. He'll he'll go all the way out there and go as fast as he can, and then all of a sudden he gets under the rim and... I don't know, he decides to shoot it or he'll go underneath the basket and come on the other side and shoot a 17-footer or whatever it may be. And tonight, uh, you just think of some of those looks for Giannis where they're kind of dump-offs. Like he would come from right to left and then just dump it off to Giannis behind him. That kind of shields off the defender that's back there and Giannis throws it through the rim. Like those are, are the passes and the tempo and the pace and – just the the style in which you want to see Eric Bledsoe play like you want to see him push as hard as he can and then let everyone else catch up like let you don't need to be the hammer you can push it out as hard as you can and then let the other guys that can finish at the rim be the hammer and you got to see Jabari do some of that you got to see Giannis do some of that and I think really like that's always kind of that that's the ideal version of all those guys getting steals and getting out on the run and um obviously you need a team that's going to help you with that and the Sixers were more than willing to do that tonight with those 26 turnovers uh but that's that's kind of what you're after so I thought that pushing that pace was just something that we don't often see I thought that was huge and then I mean Giannis and Bledsoe hitting jumpers 
Like it, yeah. If you want to talk about when those guys look good versus when those guys look bad, yeah, it's going to be really hard for Giannis when he doesn't hit jumpers. And in the last four or five games or so, like the jumper hasn't really been falling. So that leads to him attacking more guys that are already set in the paint and taking tougher shots at the rim. And tonight he was hitting jumpers. And same thing with Eric Bledsoe. There was a number of those where you tug at your collar as he's getting ready to uh, to put it up and – he hit him. Like he had some mid rangers that were that were big late. He had a three that was big. Like he just had a number of those jump shots. And I mean, even Jabari Parker to a, a, maybe a little bit lesser extent. Obviously, since he wasn't in quite as long, uh, twenty one minutes for him tonight. Thirteen points, seven rebounds, two assists, two steals for him in those twenty one minutes. Uh, but he hits three threes. He's able to make a couple plays off the dribble. Um, and then I thought the fourth quarter sequence where they take Giannis out of the game to get him uh, a little bit of a rest. He goes for 42 minutes tonight. We've seen his minutes bump back up as uh, I think the Bucks are kind of, I don't want to say desperation mode, but you can tell these games matter for the Bucks as they are shortening up the rotation and trying to get their best players on the floor a little bit more. But as they get him that blow at the, at the start of the fourth quarter, it was a three from Jabari. A mid-range jumper from Jabari and Chris Middleton who struggled he gets one as well he gets a mid-range jumper there and that was a situation where Giannis wasn't on the floor and they had just had this huge third quarter they had just taken the lead they're really feeling good going into the fourth quarter and sometimes this year you've seen well Giannis goes off the floor the bench blows it and then Giannis has more work to do and for once the bench took care of business and increased the lead. I think it went from 7 to 11 by the time he came back in, and then the Bucks just took care of business after that once Giannis got back on the floor. So um, I just thought really some, some big moments in all of those. And, again, you look at Bledsoe and you look at Parker and just big nights from both those guys that they, they were able to come in, make the plays that they needed to, and keep the Bucks afloat at times when Giannis wasn't on the floor. Yeah, last, uh, you know, you guys recall, so end of January, couple first days of February, Bledsoe was coming off the ankle injury. Um, then he was he was back in the lineup, and he just didn't look right, and he had that game where he played, what, like only a few minutes due to, you know, apparently the ankle injury came out after three minutes, actually against the Sixers on January 29th. Um, only played three minutes, looked bad, misses the next game against Minnesota. Um, and then comes back against the Knicks at home, the game they won on the Giannis late shot. He was terrible, only played 21 minutes, six fouls. Um, but then after that, starting February 4th against the Nets, uh, since that game, he's averaged 20.3 points, 6.2 assists. He shot 51% from the field, 45% from three, hitting 2.3 a game on 5.2 attempts per game. Um, and, and he's been huge because Middleton continues to not shoot threes well. Um, I mean, we saw it again on Friday. Um, he had a big scoring night, but just still felt like open threes. Like I just, I don't trust Chris Middleton hit open threes anymore, um, which is just crappy. And again, you assume at some point it'll come back, but you know, Middleton Bledsoe at this point, they are basically averaging the exact same number of makes and attempts per game. Bledsoe plays fewer minutes. So Bledsoe actually makes more threes per minute than than Chris does. Um, they're both shooting exactly 34% from three. Bledsoe has been on the rise over the last month, and Chris has been falling. Um, and, you know, give, give Chris a lot of credit because Chris, act, Chris actually came through with a few very good games of late, even against some of these good teams. Unfortunately, the Bucks 
have been losing in large part because you know we haven't been getting those superhuman efforts from Giannis. Bledsoe's been or just pretty like decent. good efforts from Giannis, yeah, like by his yeah. standards. Right, but right, exactly. Um, and you know, certainly like the the Pacer game, you know, where it just seems like in second halves of games, like Giannis just like cannot get anything to go. Um, tonight, thankfully, a different story. But <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this, this is important. I mean, Bledsoe again, like he has to be able to make outside shots. You know, other guys in the Bucks have to make outside shots, especially when teams are just jamming the lane and making it difficult for Giannis to get, you know, those opportunities in the half court to get to the rim and, and create easy shots. And as also Giannis has to also find those guys. And, you know, I think certainly, um, you know, Giannis has upped his assists over the last month, even as he has been slumping, his assists are up a little bit, um, which is obviously an important thing because, you know, if people take away his easy looks and then somebody's out of the open. So, um, again, you know, uh, again, I would say it was a cathartic night. It, you know, it was a game that mentally I was prepared for the Bucks to lose. I, I tweeted out earlier, you know. You were right, though. Yeah, I mean, it was like I I just was like, oh, this just team feels like a team that, that the Bucks are not going to have an easy time with, that the Sixers have been playing a lot better. Um, Bucks have been struggling. And at the same time, never trust the Bucks. It, it can work both ways. You just <laughs> never know at this. T- I mean, realistically, right? I mean, you look yeah. back at the games that they've played, the the, the most difficult the game they've had since the All-Star break in Toronto, they win. Um, this game, which, you know, I mean, is comp- probably comparable in difficulty to a number of other games they've had, given that all these teams have been sort of similarly, like, pretty good that they've played. Um, it's still a home game, though. Um, but you kind of looked at it and said, man, you know, this is a, this is a tough game. Um, and with the way they're playing, it's like, oh, is it going to start slipping and sliding away? But um, I thought they were going to, we can talk maybe a bit more about the Indiana game on Friday, but I, I really thought on Friday afternoon, I felt like they were going to win the game against the Pacers. Um, so kind of looking at the totality of the weekend, I felt like they probably win on Friday, probably lose on Sunday was my kind of like gut feeling um, given sort of how this team has generally been, I thought they would bounce back on Friday and win. Uh, obviously, they did not do that, um, but that just made it obviously all the more important to to win this game on Sunday and you know stop the bleeding. Right? Like you think about you know what are like the, the old baseball thing about you know having a, a stopper. You know, like that that you know if every five days you've got yep. that starter who you know is going to come out and you know be your guy who's going to give you seven or eight innings and shut the other team down and give you every chance to win a game. And, you know, in basketball, you've got the same superstar playing every night and, you know, you just needed Giannis to, to be the stopper that we know he can be. And obviously, um, huge to see him rise to the occasion tonight and come through. And obviously he got some help though as well. Yeah. I I thought he, like I said, just had kind of one of those moments in, in the third quarter and, and did that. But it's funny thinking about his game. Uh, he had 32 through three quarters. Yeah, he, he ends the game with 35. Um, so largely, uh, I mean, that was kind of the others. The others were taking care of business, and uh, the Bucks outscored the Sixers 25-24. So not a huge, not a huge gap in the fourth quarter, but that means they just held it like they held it down they didn't they didn't allow the Sixers to get back in it so um, I thought that was really impressive and I guess one thing that we can talk about uh, in both of these games was Tyler Zeller like he he is the backup center now it is not Don Maker anymore it is Tyler Zeller Um, I I read funny enough I ran a poll on Friday like would you be um, ecstatic okay disappointed 
or furious if the Bucks started having Thon pick up DNP CDs. And I think 44% said they'd be okay with it. 14% said they'd be ecstatic. And I mean, that's kind of what happened on Friday night. Uh, Thon Maker ends up getting five minutes in that one. That might have been because of foul trouble or I guess maybe things not going right. But those are five minutes in the second half. Um, Here against the Sixers, he gets another five minutes. um, And that was in the second quarter, I believe. Um, And the Bucs have just kind of decided that I guess maybe Thon will get five minutes or maybe he won't get any minutes and he'll get a DMPCD, but Tyler Zeller is going to take uh, his spot there. Uh, Zeller didn't have a huge impact against the Pacers. Um, 12 minutes, zero points, two rebounds, uh, and he was a minus eight in those 12 minutes. But against the Sixers, I thought he was huge. Um, He kind of had the bulk to not stop Embiid, but slow Embiid down enough that the double teams meant something. I don't know if that makes any sense. Like with Henson, it would be Embiid would get the ball and then there'd be a foul 30 seconds later or he would just be able to move Henson the way that he wanted to and the Bucks would try to double and it wouldn't really mean anything. But with Zeller, he was kind of able to hold his ground and then when the doubles came, that meant something and he was able to kind of be physical with Embiid. And well, then he was able to score offensively as well. Uh, he was joking after the game that he, he's still getting used to Giannis, and obviously they haven't had a ton of practice time together, so he doesn't necessarily know when the ball was coming. He joked that one of the, the passes Giannis threw to him, I, and I think it was Zeller underneath the basket on the right side. Um, yeah. It, that, I thought Giannis was, like, getting blocked, and then correct. Only, like on the replay did I realize, like, no, he actually just – you know, yeah. triple pump, did one of those Bledsoe triple pump and pass off at the last second type type play. And Zeller's like, I caught it with my face. So he's like, I, I'm still not used to Giannis. Like, I don't know when it's coming, but luckily I bounced off my face, caught it in my hands and put it up and in. And he, he said he's still getting used to that, but you can kind of see, like, he, he understands he has a good feel. I think that would be the best way to say it. Like he has a good feel for the game. He kind of knows where the open areas are going to be. He's not the most athletic dude. So there's going to be times where he gets a shot blocked or he's got to try to get it up on the, on the glass in a hurry before someone more athletic comes around. But you can just tell how useful that is in moments where it does bounce off his face and he's still able to grab it and finish it. Or in moments where, like I mentioned before, Giannis gets Gets the ba- gets to the basket, gets underneath the basket, up fakes Envy, throws the wrap around, and Zeller mentioned that as soon as he said as soon as Giannis up faked, he knew that that wraparound was coming and he just needed to fill that lane and he was going to be able to get it off um, before Embiid got back around. And uh, I mean, I, I just think that that can be so useful for this team that that roller has some use, if that makes any sense. Uh, with Thon, I, I do think there's there's plenty of value in him picking and popping, but if he's not hitting shots, if he's not having the confidence that he needs to, if he's not actually popping out to the three-point line instead in the mid-range area, well, picking and popping with Thon then doesn't really have a ton of value, while with Zeller, he's able to, to one, set screens because he's big and physical, and then two, he's kind of able to find those soft spots in in the zone and figure out exactly uh, where he needs to be. So I think one that this is a trend and that we're going to continue to see Thon Maker uh, be the the third center and two if this season is about winning games and getting a better playoff spot and figuring out um, a way to have a successful season win a playoff series 
then I think this makes a lot of sense. Like, if you are willing to punt on some developmental reps for Thon in these final 20 games, okay, Tyler Zeller can kind of fill that role and be that number two center that you need. Uh, wanted to talk about uh, obviously the the comeback from the huge deficit. Um, you know that that was primarily obviously in the third quarter, but um, in the start of that fourth quarter, Giannis goes to the bench. You mentioned Giannis going to the bench, being able to hold the lead even without him before he came back after I think about three minutes. And just wanted to highlight that because Embiid hits a mid range shot, then Redick hits. Uh, I think it was from I think it was the corner three that he hit maybe at that point, um, and. The Sixers take a seven-point deficit, turn it into a two-point deficit with 11 minutes to go. And I, I thought this was just a huge part of the game because that I think that was the last time the game was actually really close. Yep. And Jabari comes back and hits a mid-range jumper right after that to extend the lead back to four. Then Chris hits a mid-range jumper. Um, and then Jabari hits a big three-pointer. Uh, to make it 191 and at that point Chris comes back into the game um, and I thought that was just a, a really big sequence because they were able to kind of buckle down a little bit they forced a couple of misses by the Sixers they come back they're able to get buckets uh, Jabari obviously was big I think after the three I think that might have been when Jabari started jumping around and yelling like what's I think he was saying like what's up now or something yeah like that. he, he was That's saying what he was what's up but I'm gonna need someone to put uh are you not entertained on that one? Like okay. with, with his arms outstretched like that, that was perfect gladiator. Are you not entertained? Like that was someone, someone that's talented on the internet do that. Yeah. And from there on out, basically the bucks were able to then just sort of take counter punches at, at every point. And, um, a Covington three made it one Oh two 98 blood. So answers with a three, um, Giannis then hit another mid range jumper, you know, Embiid had a pair of free throw misses in, in between there. Um, and then Bledsoe uh, fed Zeller for that dunk where um, it, the scary play where, where Embiid comes from behind as he's going up for the dunk, hits him on the back of the head. And, you know, with, with Zeller in that very, you know, vulnerable position, dunking uh, absolutely shades of, of the Andrew Bogut play in, in spring of 2010 that, of course, Bucks fans would rather not have to think about. He goes down very hard and obviously – you know, thankfully this time around, uh, Zeller's able to get up, even make the free throw. It was ruled a flagrant just because of the head hit and the dangerous position. Um, what do you think of a suspension for those fouls, Frank? Because um, I, it's it's the play I hate most in basketball. I think it's totally messed up to do. I'm going to try to keep from cursing because it, it is something that really just pisses me off. Like I, I just think it is such an unsafe play, and guys are in so much danger, and so often – those falls are out of frustration. Like, yeah. clearly Embiid tonight, I don't think that he thought there was a chance he was going to get that. I think he had had some turnovers. They were down double digits, and he came in, and he was going to foul someone. And I just that, – that idea of undercutting someone as they go to the rim, it is so dangerous that – and, again, I, I've, I think – I'm trying to think. I think Giannis did this to someone last year, and I tweeted out about how Giannis should get a flagrant or someone should fight Giannis, and Bucks fans were like, oh, you didn't do anything wrong. That was just good hustle. Like, that's not good hustle. That is that is hustle that endangers a fellow basketball player, and I think it's incredibly messed up, and I hate it, and I don't like seeing it. And, again, maybe I feel more passionately about this because I've seen Andrew Bogut's career get 
derailed. I, I yeah. shouldn't say derailed, but so I was going to say derailed. Yeah, because he wasn't the same player after that. Like, and and so I understand that maybe I am a little bit more passionate about it, but it's just a play that I've hated my entire basketball life. Like, I don't like seeing guys get undercut. So. Is is a, a suspension's probably too much, but man, I just wish there was a better way to police it. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of it reminds me a little bit of the uh, you know the whole stepping under guys when they come down stuff that yep. that after Kawhi Leonard uh, got injured when Zaza did that to him last year in the playoffs. You know, like there was like a hot minute where people talked about it being a big emphasis, and supposedly your the refs were given directives to assess flagrants if they thought guys were coming down under people um but to be honest i i can think of exactly one time this season when somebody has actually like been basically officiated like zaza and that was tony snell who completely got screwed on a call like that like i forgot who it was but somebody like landed like three feet in front of where they jumped and Snell was like not doing anything except like meekly contesting a shot and got called for a flagrant this was early in the season yeah and there have been a few situations since then I think there was one on Friday even where was it Jet somebody like got just like destroyed by it I think in the Pacers game um somebody came under them and there was no call at all that Pacer game was a bloodbath anyway um but yeah it's one of those things that it's dangerous um and certainly, I think the 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 hitting guys from behind when they're in those vulnerable positions. I mean, that's more dangerous, I would say, even than you know uh, going under a guy and shooting because you're talking about you know like a, a sprained ankle generally with if you put your foot under a guy who's landing yep. uh, on a jump shot with a guy jumping up and you know Tyler was probably hurt by the fact that he tried to you know kind of like Bogut tried to hang onto the rim for support, but if you don't hang on. Um, you know, if you let go, then you're going horizontal yep. to the ground. And, and that's obviously what happened to Tyler. And um, I think, I mean, you can fill us in with more color. It sounded like he was very sore. His entire right side, he said, was sore. Um, but hopefully he's going to be okay, obviously. Yeah, Matt started that question. It was just like, it looked like it was your right hip. And he was like, well, I, don't, I mean, it's kind of my whole right side. And then I was like, well, did your elbow hit? like first like do you have any idea he's like i have no idea kind of how it happened i just know that my whole right side is sore um which i I mean i think makes makes a whole lot of sense so um hopefully i mean i think there's gonna be a whole lot of bruises on the right side of his body um certainly one by his elbow probably one by his hip um maybe somewhere on his leg as well i don't i don't really know what all took the shock there but there's going to be some bruising, but I mean, I would assume that's something that he'd be able to play through. Um, but we'll see. Maybe, maybe it'll be so severe that he won't be able to play in a back to a back to back tomorrow night uh, against the Pacers. Um, anything else from this weekend? Um, I was just trying to think through kind of these two games. Uh, that Pacers game, the worst officiated half I've seen. I think in my entire career covering basketball games, um, I, I cannot imagine a, an officiating crew letting a game get more out of hand than that crew did in the first half. They let everything go and then they would randomly call it very tight. And both teams were furious. Both benches were losing their minds on every single call. And then uh, I, it was funny before the game, Matt and I were talking a little bit about, how have we had two Lance Stevenson versus Sterling Brown games already? Because the Pacers and Bucks have played twice already, and we haven't seen we haven't seen any action. 
Like those those two on the floor at the same time, like there, there should be action. And I, I texted him during the first four minutes of that game, and I told him, I was like, we're going to get a, a Lance and Sterling fight. Like there's no doubt about it because this game is officiated so poorly. And sure enough, double technicals. Um, and, yeah, that, that game was just a mess. First half was awful, and then the Bucks just came out and laid an egg in that third quarter. And I guess maybe that's something to talk about going forward. The Bucks have to find a way to start the first and third quarter better. Period. Like the the these five games, really since All Star break, you've just seen them dig themselves holes and attempt to come back from them. And I, I tweeted it out tonight, and a bunch of people, like I said, were giving me a hard time that I said it's it's unlikely that you're going to come back for like you just don't come back from down 20 twice in a game and the, the bucks were able to do it but so often during this stretch we've seen them go down and we've seen them fight back claw their way back into the game and then you're exhausted at that point you don't have enough and you end up losing the game so to me the bucks got to find a way to avoid those larger pitfalls and i i definitely understand that basketball is a game of runs that's it's an it's an adage as old as time, uh, so we all understand that. But the runs shouldn't be nineteen to zero. Like, it, just just keep it at like eight, eight or nine. Like, keep it in single digits, even if it's high single digits, and things can be fine. But as soon as you get into those double digit runs, like it, it can just get ugly. And that, I, I thought that's kind of what happened on Friday night, and obviously we saw that twice tonight. Well, the interesting thing is too. I mean, we've talked a lot about how the Bucks starting five has generally been by far their best lineup, yeah. right? They've started those two quarters well. Um, and, you know, you look at, they've spent so much of the season at like a plus 15 to, I mean, they were, I think, at like plus close to 20 points per 100 with the current starting five. And, you know, you go back, you look at the data now at 435 minutes, it's all the way down to 9.1 net rating, um, which just goes to show that the defense has slid a little bit and the offense, which was, you know, at like 115, 116 for a long time, they're down to 112 now. So, you know, we're starting to see that seep into the lineup data where they've, they've definitely backslid and, and had, you know, whether you want to call it mean regression or, or just whatever, um, that group has, has struggled to, to have the same consistency. Obviously on Friday, um, you know, uh, I guess, what was it? We missed, uh, what did Tony, Tony missed two games, I guess, right? He yeah. missed, uh, Friday and, uh, the game before, uh, the Wednesday game in Detroit. Um, so obviously, um, you know, I think it's sort of one of those things like, you know, again, like if everyone's healthy, like is missing Tony Snell, like the end of the world? No, it's, it shouldn't be. Um, but when you take a team that, you know, is already missing Malcolm Brogdon, already missing Delhi, um, and Sterling Brown has been, you know, mostly down and not up of late, yeah. uh, it's definitely a blow when, when then your you know, normal kind of starting, uh, shooting guard isn't in the game. And, um, so certainly that was, uh, I think a factor, you know, Tony tonight, seven points on 11 shots or sorry, seven points on four shots, you know, no, no kind of standout, whatever, but again, just having, you know, another you know guy that you can trust um, be in there. Obviously, is is a plus. So, um, so yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I mean, again, like it's not like it's some stretch to say, oh, the Bucks starting five needs to kind of buckle down because the Bucks starting five is where you know right now they're healthy, right? They've got all those guys. They're not missing any of those guys. You know, you would think the bench would be the the group that would be struggling given some of the the lack of depth, especially Malcolm out. But um, certainly Jabari coming back helps. Um, for sure. 
giving you more of that scoring punch with some of those second unit type type combinations. Um, and we'll see because, you know, uh, there's obviously very little time to celebrate the game on Sunday because you got to go and head to Indiana and try to get revenge on the Pacers who, you know, not only came into the BC and gave you the business on, you know, a game that you really needed to win. Um, freaking Lance Stevenson. Oh my God. Like Lance Stevenson, get like, Oh God. Like Lance Stevenson, having a better offensive night than Giannis is just like my personal hell. Um, cause like Lance is just a freaking oh God. Lance is just so carnival annoying. Barker. Clown. Uh, he uh. is a carnival. <laughs> he is. I, I, that's a really weird way to describe, but I, there, there is something to that. Um, and, and yeah, he's just annoying as hell. And, and he obviously made big shots, um, on Friday and, um, especially in that second half. I mean, it was painful, you know, Giannis yeah. just, I mean, it was ironic because he hit a couple threes, but, um, you know, his his mid-range shot was just completely gone. And the Pacers, again, I mean, I, I know that, you know, he's not physically always 100%, but I don't think, I mean, a lot of people think want to just act like it's purely like, oh, the Bucks are just playing him too much or he's injured or whatever. And certainly I, I'm sure that's not helping. Um but I mean, teams are packing the paint. Teams are beating him up. I mean, you know, if he can't make a mid-range jump shot, um, I mean, he can't jump through three guys all the time, right? Correct. I mean, it's it's hard. And the Bucks again have made life hard on themselves. Giannis has oftentimes made life hard on himself. And you know, again, he's a very mediocre to bad mid-range jump shooter still. And you know, obviously, when he's relying on that. Um, sometimes it goes in these last few games. I guess the, you know, you had the good game against Toronto. She was hitting all those jumpers, and then it, and it's obviously gone away from him um, in those. The, the, they're in the losing streak, but uh, thankfully, better luck tonight. And and obviously, kind of everything sort of fell into place. So we'll be interested to see. I mean, Giannis struggled greatly, and the whole Bucks team struggled in their first trip to Indiana. Um, I don't think they'll be lacking in motivation at all. Um, Indiana uh, played earlier today, which is important um they won in washington so both games both teams on a back-to-back but um the pacers should figure to get into indiana a little bit earlier i guess um so again um it's asking a lot with Giannis uh and and all the guys kind of coming off you know big minute nights again Giannis 42 minutes Bledsoe played 40 minutes which again his minutes have been up of late we talked about them managing his minutes earlier in the season a bit better but obviously with no other point guards on the roster right now um it's been it's been more of a challenge you mentioned Giannis struggling and teams keeping him out of the paint. Um, like I said, I wrote something about it at ESPN Milwaukee. I'll tweet it out again here on Monday. But taking a look at his shot profile, so in October, 54% of his shots came in the restricted area. In November, 52%. In December, 58%. In January, 44%. In February, and then the first game here, uh, in March, 42% of his shots in the restricted area. So teams are doing everything they can to keep him out. And then when you look, uh, I guess, conversely in, in the same, or I guess in the opposite spots, like in the paint, non-restricted area, uh, 19% of his shots came there in February. 28% of his shots came from mid-range in February. And then 11% of his shots came from above the break. That above the break number was the highest he's had at any point this season. Uh, that mid-range number was the second highest that he had with January being 30% of his shots from mid-range. So 
once the new year has hit, teams are keeping him out of the lane. They refuse. I, I was thinking about this the other night, and maybe you can think of one. When's the last time someone bit on a Giannis three pump fake? When, when's the last time Giannis did a, a pump fake from the three-point line? It's It's been, it's got to be months, right? I don't know if it's, I don't know. I mean, the, the 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 irony is he's actually made some threes of late. That's kind of been the weird part, right? Is like on on Friday, like he completely whiffed on that one three late in the game, but he did hit a couple three hit a couple threes earlier in the game. Um, but no one's and, covering it. Like it it doesn't matter that he's making it. No one is coming out, right? Or am I seeing it differently? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm trying to think. I mean, he's he's always weird. Like teams have weirdly like. At t- people have weirdly at times bit on his pump fakes, right? Like I mean, we've talked about that. Um, and, and the reason why I, I say know. I don't think I've seen it in a while is because I think it's weird every time it happens, and I typically note it. Like, are you know what I mean? Like, it there has there hasn't been one that stuck out recently, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, off the top, man, I'm not sure. I mean, the irony is, um, since the All Star break, uh, let's see, he is was four out of 11 now he's five out of 12 from three-point range so yeah <laughs> weirdly he's actually seen some threes go in um which again is you know it's small sample stuff i'm not gonna sit here and act like <laughs> oh Giannis now can make three-pointers <laughs> uh, yeah, let's, let's not go there yet um but uh again you know it, it's it's I, I i mentioned on friday i again i I always hate the like, oh, if he adds a jump shot, dot, 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 that conversation, because we have it every year and every year he gets better, even without a jump shot. But um, I mean, I think at this point, we're kind of reaching the ceiling of what he can be without a jump yeah. shot. <laughs> you know, like uh, he he's a, you know, top five ish NBA player. And he's doing that without a consistent, you know, mid range slash perimeter, you know, long, long, through long, uh, long jump shot. And so again, I mean, you can only get so much better from where he is now without it. And and so again, you know, I don't know if it's going to come. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be a, a really good three-point shooter. Uh, can he be like proficient? You know, could he be like right now he's at 30.5%, I think, for, for the season, which um, I think is the first time he's been above 30 since his rookie season, I think. Um, so again, I mean, it's like, you know, look at Westbrook. I mean, he's... He's had seasons around 30% a number of times and, you know, teams still cover him out there. So a lot of it is just a matter of um, just getting getting comfortable and just being willing to make take the shot, being willing, you know, able to make the shot. and Giving zero um, Fs. Giving zero Fs. That's, <laughs> um, that's, that's always helpful. So, um, so I don't know. We'll see. But obviously these, what, next couple games, uh, Pacers and Rockets, and then you get a run of, I think, four games that are the games that you need to win, right? Yep. Absolutely. So we'll see uh, what the Bucks can do. We'll talk to you after they play the Pacers, uh, a team that they lost to on Friday night, 103-96, and they win here on Sunday, 118-110 over the Philadelphia 76ers. So for Frank Madden, I'm Eric Name. This has been Locked on Bucks. We'll talk to you after the Bucks play the Pacers on Monday night.